0: I look around uh, during the time of the giving of the offering and I see people putting whatever their ties, and their offerings in the offering bag. And um, I see little kids, too, doing their bit. Parents put a, maybe a coin or a loony or whatever, dollar bill, and they, they put it in the offering bag because parents believe that uh, worship is for children and giving is for uh, children. And then also when we sing, every once in a while, I don't know if you can hear this, but you can hear some of the higher pitches of the kids' voices. And you can also hear that when we say the Apostles' Creed together. And it's, it's a reminder of what Jesus says in the passage that we're going to deal with this morning, where Jesus says, you know, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such as these belong the kingdom of heaven. So what we're going to look at this morning is that you know, our children um, are never viewed as second-class citizens in the in the mind of God, but they are members of what the Bible calls the covenant, and they're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to focus on that. So what I want to do is I want to read through, um, through two passages this morning, one from Matthew chapter 18, and then um, we're going to move from that to Matthew chapter 19. So... Matthew chapter 18. I want to begin reading at verse one where we read, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You wonder what they were thinking at that point. Maybe they're thinking, maybe Jesus would say, Maybe one of you are the greatest. Maybe that's what they were hoping. But instead, Jesus called a child to him. And he put him in the midst of them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. I, I think that's that is, arguably, uh, one of the most terrifying texts in all the Bible. Isn't that what we just read? Uh, I'll get back to that a little bit later. Matthew chapter 19. Now I want to read verses 13, 14, and 15. Then children were brought to him. That is Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, and then he went away. Now, the the two passages that I read are not part of the, uh, the deeper parts of Scripture and some of the deeper doctrines of the Word of God that we would find in books like, oh, Daniel or the book of Romans, or Hebrews, the book of Revelation. But um, nonetheless, while Jesus' teaching here is very simple, as I oftentimes say, it's not simplistic, but is very profound, and it gets at the heart and the kind of attitude that we should have, that we must have, before we enter into a relationship with Jesus and experience the presence and the power of his... uh, of his kingdom. Now when we uh, take a look at the passage when we, and I'll just dive in here. I had a little bit of an intro, but it is a bit warm this morning. I'm just going to forego that intro and just kind of dive right into the passage. Um, Jesus is moving with his disciples in the ministry. You know if you know anything about the ministry of Jesus, he's been kind of moving here and there and everywhere and now he's moving from a place called Galilee to a place called Judea. And as he's moving from place to place, it's very interesting that crowds are following him because word is getting around around about who Jesus is, um, that he is the long-awaited Messiah. People wondering, you know, as messianic expectations are running high at this time, is Jesus really the Messiah or is he not? Um, no doubt people had heard about his miracles and the things that he had done, and, and so Jesus was getting quite a following of a, of a mixed kind of people. There were people who had an inkling of who he might be, uh, they wanted further evidence, there were also people who kind of had really no clue about who Jesus was or the nature of the kingdom of God, but at any rate, Jesus had a, had a large large crowds that were gathering around him. And as we read in this passage, we read that there are a number in the crowd that was me, um, interacting with Jesus at this time, that in this crowd there were, there were various parents of, who had children, and the indication is that the children are rather young. And so the parents are bringing their little kids to Jesus, and why are they doing that? Well, they're hoping that these kids could have some kind of interaction with Jesus, that Jesus would, as the text says, pray over them and lay hands on them and bless them. And, and the, the, the books of, of Mark and Luke, because you find this story that we're dealing with here, in what we call the synoptics and when you hear that word synoptics and you'll hear me use that here every once in a while the word synoptics relates to the first three books of the New Testament so we call the synoptics the first three gospels you have Matthew, Mark, Luke and whenever dealing with the passage whether you are teaching this let's say in a class or whether the preacher is dealing with it he always needs to take he needs, to look, he needs to consider the parallel accounts that we find in other places of the gospel. So that's what I'm doing now. When you take a look at Mark and Luke, it's very interesting that they give the indication that these parents were, were continually bringing <laughs> their kids to Jesus. So this is not a one-time thing. Constantly, parents are bringing their kids to Jesus. And we also get the indication in the synoptics that that the disciples were equally adamant and consistent in continually rebuking the parents and basically saying to the parents, don't bother him, don't bother Jesus, right? And the thing is, is that we, when we ask the question, why would the disciples do that? I mean, come on, I mean, they were followers of Jesus, didn't they know the heart of Jesus for kids, and so why are they doing these kinds of things, and and for people who read their Bibles and who kind of interact with the mind of the disciples, they, they say things oftentimes like this. Well, the disciples were, were proud. We know that much from our reading from Matthew chapter 18. But uh, the disciples were relatively immature. And we need to realize that Jesus only had three years with them at some point in the three-year ministry of Jesus and, um, they were were saying these kinds of things to the parents. And um, according to most commentators, the disciples are rather young. I think sometimes as we get older, we think the disciples may be being kind of like Jesus around 30 years old or 40 or what have you. But in reality, some of them may be in their latter teens, maybe even their early to mid-20s. So they're, they're relatively young and lacking a bit of discernment mixed with pride. So that's what's going on. And so oftentimes when, we say, when, when the d- disciples say no, no, no to the parents, don't bring your kids to Jesus, we say that's the problem. That was the problem with the disciples. And we kind of write them off. But I want you to think about something. I want you to think about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus preached often in the synagogues and out in the open. Jesus taught in the synagogues and out in the open. Um, Jesus was constantly healing individuals, these various individuals, young and old, male and female, different classes and so on. They would come to Jesus, and you have to realize that there were no hospitals at this time. There were no really qualified doctors or the kind of medicines and counsel that we have today. So Jesus oftentimes was the last opportunity that they had to feel better or even have their lives saved physically, not just spiritually. So, all these things are going on in the life of Jesus. In addition to that, Jesus would engage in the theological leaders of the day who oftentimes would try to put him in a theological corner from which he could not escape. And oftentimes, Jesus had to deal with very heady subjects, difficult subjects. For instance, when you take a look at our passage in Matthew chapter 19, what immediately precedes that passage? Jesus is interacting. Um, with a very difficult subject that even Christians struggle with today, and that's the whole matter of marriage and divorce. So Jesus is dealing with all of these things, and one final thing is we realize that in dealing with all these things, Jesus was so busy that as other places the gospel tell us, Jesus oftentimes with his disciples even barely had time to eat. So you put all of these things together together, And then you think about these parents who are bringing their little ones to Jesus and saying to him, oh, would you pray over them? Would you lay hands on them? Would you please bless them? In the grand scheme of things, how important is this really on a scale of 1 to 10? A 2? Maybe a 3? All they want is Jesus to touch the kids, pray over them, and bless them. And Jesus is dealing with some very difficult things in a very busy ministry. And yet, now, why do I take the last couple minutes to supply that kind of context? Because when Jesus does take time to to, to deal with the children, that tells us something about the heart of his ministry. Jesus was never too busy for kids, Jesus took time for the kids, Jesus, more accurately, made time the little children. And he said to his disciples, do not prevent these children from coming to me, for to such as these belong the kingdom of heaven. You know, um, Jesus didn't view little children as a distraction or an interruption, but as an opportunity for ministry. I think that's, that's something for us to remember as a church, and I think it's something for us to remember as office bearers of the church, and obviously it's something for us to um, remember as, as as parents. How many times, maybe if you are a parent of little ones, how many times, or maybe maybe you're middle-aged, but you can remember when your kids were small. And how many times isn't it, hasn't it been the case where the little kids come up to you and they, they do this and they they want to talk, right? And and so often you're right in the middle of something, say, oh, "Don't bother me, don't bother me," and. And sometimes it is a bother. Sometimes it's just something really, really small. But other times you have to think to yourself, is the Lord providentially opening up an opportunity for me to put this aside in order that I might pay attention to my child? Personally, I struggle very much with this, if I may just be very bold. I struggle, maybe some of you, if you're in positions of authority and leadership, you struggle with interruptions because your mind is fixed on something, you're concentrating on something, and interruptions just all of a sudden uproot that, and then you find it very difficult to get back into what you're doing. But this is a word to myself as a leader, and it's a word to all of us, especially if you're office bearers. We've got to take time to not just be concerned about those who are outside of Christ, and not just concerned with those who are dealing with deep, deep things as adults, but also in the midst of all these things. May God give us grace to do what Jesus does here, to stop everything and just welcome these little ones. And that's what Jesus does. You know, it's, it's interesting that, um, that, that Jesus devoted his time not not just here, but other times to children. For instance, just in the Gospel of, of Matthew, we read how there, there was a, a little girl who died. And Jesus raised her from the dead. Now you think about it, he's not only ministering to that child, but he's ministering to the parents who are grieving. Then we read about Jesus um, healing a little girl of a demon. Or we read about Jesus healing a little boy of a demon, where this this this, this demon would throw the boy uh, into fire in order to try to burn him, or he would he would throw this boy into water in order to to drown him. Because the is the intent of the demonic realm simply to destroy. And then there's a time where where after Peter had fallen, you remember this, I think it's John chapter 21, where Jesus is restoring Peter to his responsibilities of the gospel ministry. And do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, Peter, feed my sheep. But he did more than that. Remember, he said, not only feed my sheep, but feed my lambs. Feed the little ones, Peter. So you can begin to understand that given all of this, when the disciples do this, when they try to prevent these little ones from coming to Jesus, Jesus, don't do that. Do not prevent these little ones, these little children, from coming to me. Do not hinder them, these little children. Now, to to add a little bit of light to this, the word for little children in the original language is the word technon just little ones, so they probably would be, what, we don't know for sure, maybe three, four, five years old. Interestingly, Luke in his Gospel uses the word brephé, not "technom," but brephé, which means infant or infants. So, we need to understand that when these parents were coming continually to Jesus with their children, they, they, these are kids are not just small like some of them that we have here are three, four, five years old or six or what have you. They're actually bringing their infants to, kid, to Jesus and say, would you, would, you please, would you please lay your hands on them and would you bless them and would you pray over them? We need to remember that it's easy to ignore the smallest among us, but we have to remember that God has his sights set on them. And so must we. That our, lo- that our children, particularly the children whom the Lord has given to us, are to be considered not only precious to us, and valued by us, but are above all precious to the Lord. And this is why he calls us To apply to our children, whom the Bible calls covenant children, the sign and the seal of baptism, which we're going to be taking a look at this afternoon. Because of our children and their preciousness and the value that God holds on them, because of that value, that preciousness, God calls us to lead our little ones to Christ. God encourages us to have them make a public profession of faith. God calls us as we get a bit older as children to come to his table, to come to the table of the Lord as they grow a bit older, as they grow a bit more in understanding, where they understand what repentance, and they understand what faith is all about. They don't have to be PhDs. They just have to know what it means to repent, and they need to know what it means to follow Jesus and receive the bread and wine from his hand, that they may be blessed and that they may grow in light of the sacrament as a means of grace. God calls us to encourage our children by giving them a Christian education where, where, all, where all facets of academic endeavor are seen under the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ. All of these things. Listen, our children are never an afterthought in the mind of God, nor are they second-class citizens, as I said, but they are members of the covenant and citizens of the kingdom of God. And we need to treat them like that. I think, I think sometimes we, 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 kind of, we kind of put our children to the side for just a moment. Say, well, they're just going to kind of learn as they go along. And then when they get to be maybe late teens or they get to be early adults or older adults or what have you, then they begin to seri- get really serious about the things of God. Jesus said, no. Jesus says, get get into their minds and get into their hearts the earliest of years and encourage them to move on to adulthood and to take hold of the promises of God in their baptism through their profession of faith and encouraging them from the earliest of years to say, you too, my little one, can follow Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're three or four or five. You don't wait until you're 18 or 19 or 25 or 30 to follow Jesus. You follow him now in your own way, as a small child. And so here's some questions to ask ourselves, both as parents and as a church. Very simply, are we showing our children Jesus? Are we urging them to the cross? Are we forming, not just their minds, but are we forming their consciences? Are we preparing them to serve the king? Are we preparing them to fight the battles that they're going to have to fight in this wicked and perverse generation of ours? And are we ultimately preparing them for eternity? That's our calling. And these are the questions that we need to to grapple with all the time. And so Jesus teaches us that the kingdom of heaven is for children. But if you look at our passage more closely, you also see that the kingdom of heaven is not just for children. Children, and children of the covenant, but the kingdom of heaven is, and listen carefully to this, the kingdom of heaven is also to, not just to children, but to those who are like children. Listen to the words of Jesus. He said to his disciples, do not let the um, do not hinder the children from coming to me, for to such as these, in other words, those who are like children, belong the kingdom of heaven. And then in order to demonstrate that point, Jesus puts, uh, he, he, he has a child, he's, he's talking to his disciples, he says, to a little child, come forward, and he puts the child right in the middle of them, and then he uses that child as an object lesson. Take a look at the previous passage that we read together from uh, Matthew chapter 18. Can you put Is it up there, Matthew chapter, there we go. Let's consider these words. His disciples need a lesson in humility. And that's why Jesus calls a child. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, we don't know how old, but he put him in the midst of them and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child... I'll get to that in just a moment, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to say this. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Now, I want you to to let that sink in a little bit. When we minister to our children, we minister to Christ. When we notice our children, we notice Christ. When we care for our children, We're caring for Christ. Do you see how Christ identifies very, very closely with children? So much so that Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, also, let that scary verse dig in. Don't even as Christian parents, I mean, well, listen, uh, Tim brought out in his prayer the whole matter of, of child trafficking, and uh, many of you are aware of a, a movie that's doing very well, The Box Office Sound of Freedom, it's about that, and I think, I think there's, there's probably a number of us here right now who probably would even have difficulty going to that, to that movie just because... It would, it just, you know, something like child trafficking, when you really start to think about it, as they say today, really messes with your head and it messes with your heart. And to think, to think not only that these children would be trafficked in various ways, but to think that adults would take advantage of them to such an extent that they would traffic them. They must receive some of the, if they do not repent, they must receive some of the most awful judgments at the hand of God on the final day. Jesus says whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone. It's a very heavy stone, fast around his neck and for him to be drowned. So anyway, it just shows us the heart that Jesus has for our little ones and the kind of protective care that he wants us to give to our our little ones, physically, but also spiritually. And to think even as Christian parents, and you, you get this way as you get a bit older as a Christian parent, where you look back of all the opportunities that you had with your kids, and you think about all the things that you said to them or all the things that you did to them. But you also have a number of regrets about what you failed to do. And you think to yourself, did I, did I put a millstone around their neck, or I mean, uh, am I going to get a millstone around my neck because of what I did, you know? And and even as parents, we realize none of us have done it well. There have been neglect on our parts. There are things that we have said. There are things we have done. And we need to be open about that. And we just need to bring it to the Lord. And then the Lord says, you know what? There's abundant grace. There's abundant grace. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. And not only will I forgive, but keep praying that the Lord would, um, as the writer Joel says in the Old Testament, ask the Lord that he would restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Restore the year. I you ever that th- th- remember that verse? Lord, pray that Lord restore the years that the locust has, has eaten, and many many times, many times he does. So anyway, Jesus Jesus move on. Jesus puts his child before his disciples, and the the question the question that we have to ask ourselves here this morning is this: What is it about the the qualities of a child that we need to that we can learn from as adults, that we need to imitate as adults? And I want you to think about these things. I'll be quick with them. Humility, trust, teachability, and vulnerability. Trust, humility, teachability, vulnerability. Trust. Many times when we face the pressures of adulthood, we struggle with trust, just trusting the Lord that everything's going to work out, that he's going to provide what we need. Little children, they just trust. They trust they're going to be taken care of. Unless you grew up in a very dysfunctional home, probably a number of us can remember when we were two, three, maybe four years old, maybe worrying about a few things. But usually, kids don't worry too much. And they especially don't worry, again, unless you grew up in a, in a difficult family, usually don't worry about if, if, if you know, there's going to be enough food on the table. There usually is or clothes on your back. We can learn about trust from a child. We can learn about humility from a child. Adults struggle with pride all the time. Adults dig in. Adults don't want to admit they're wrong. Jesus says with a lot of children, they possess wonderful, beautiful humility, and he proves that to his disciples by teaching them a lesson in humility as he puts that little child before them. Most two, three-year-olds are old, don't hang around kids, You know, be like this and, you know, think that they're hottest things. They don't learn that until they get a bit older, right? So trust, humility, um, also teachability. Now, some of the greatest attributes of children can be their downfall. Sometimes they can be too trusting and too teachable and believe things that they shouldn't. Probably a number of us, we could say to to our children when they are two or three years old, when they're really young, did you know that the moon is made out of cheese? Really? Right? This is the kids. they just like, if the parent says it to them, many times they will believe it. Right? They can almost be too trusting but, and, 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 and too teachable. But at the same time, when we look at it positively, when you can teach a child the things of God, oftentimes they'll sit there and they'll listen and it'll become absorbed to a certain degree. Let's make use of that time with our kids. And finally, not just teachability, but vulnerability. Children are vulnerable by nature. Two, three years old, younger than that, especially as infants, they are absolutely dependent upon daddy and upon mommy. So no parent when their child is three years old, let's say, says to little Billy, well, you know, Billy, you've, been, you've lived three years now, and I think it's time for you to move out of the house and maybe find a job. And so I'll give you till the end of the month to do that. No parent who loves their child would ever do that because they know three-year-old Billy doesn't have the capacity to live on his own. They're vulnerable, they're needy, and we can learn that as adults, that we need to be vulnerable and we need to be open because ultimately we're much weaker than what we really realize. You see all the things that we can learn from children. This is why one man once put it this way. He said, God gives children to parents, not so much that the parents can teach them, but so that the children can teach us. Uh Then finally this, notice how our passage ends. We read that Jesus laid his hands on the infants and children who were brought to him. He prayed over them and he blessed them. He blessed them. When Jesus blessed them, what do you think he said? Did you say some nice things? Many of us here are uh, familiar with the final blessing that we receive at the end of the service, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face and give you his peace, give you his shalom. Shalom means, in the Hebrew, health and Life and blessing. Did Jesus say that to the kids? We don't know for sure, but maybe something along that lines. But again, it shows us the heart of Jesus for the children. And so, Jesus reminds us that he loves our children, and it's never too early for us as parents and as a church to bring them to Christ. And so, I have two sets of questions, one for children and one for adults. Kids, do you really believe that Jesus loves you? Or is it just that, that uh, Jesus loves your mom and your dad or your grandparents? Do you believe that Jesus loves you and that Jesus at the earliest of years calls you to follow him? And are you willing to come to Jesus? And are you willing to do what happened to these kids whose parents brought their children to Jesus. Are you willing of your own initiative to climb into that lap of Jesus and have him place his hands upon you and pray over you and bless you? God calls you to that, even now, even now. And finally, as adults, are we, in light of the teaching of Jesus here, willing to adopt the position of a child are we willing like a child to come to Jesus are we willing like a child to humble ourselves and confess our need in the midst sometimes of great pride And indeed are we willing like a child to climb into the lap of Jesus so that he may simply hold us and may simply bless us sometimes we just need to get out of ourselves as adults and our constant propensity toward self-sufficiency and making things happen, and like a child, give ourselves over to Jesus so that he may simply hold us, put his hands on us, and bless us. Such is the calling of every one of us here this morning. And may God give us the grace to do precisely that. Let's, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do draw near to you, O God, And we ask, O Lord, that we and our church may be so humbled that we may wish to imitate the humility, the trust, the teachability, and the vulnerability of a child. Lord, we pray for our children here. Lord, they need your grace and they need your spirit. They need the gift of faith and a God-given desire to follow Jesus from their earliest of years. Lord, we pray for our children that they may seek Jesus from the earliest of days so that when they get older, they may look back on their lives and say, truly in a heartfelt way, I have never known a day when I did not know Christ. And I've never known a day when I did not seek him as my Savior and my Lord. And Lord, the same thing for us as adults. Oh God, may we seek Christ. Whatever stage of life we are in, no matter what level of spirituality, oh God, as we saw last week, we pray that each and every one of us, we who are older, may simply die to ourselves, crucify the flesh, be buried in Christ, die to ourselves, and ultimately find our life in Christ. Oh, God, grant that, we pray. And then in doing that, Lord, may we live in the joy of knowing that Christ is our Lord and Christ is our Savior and the joy of walking with him all the days of our life and also the joy of being blessed by his hand. Oh, God, grant that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.